Today, we are going to talk to the daughter of two immigrants who turned dropping out of law school into a multi-million dollar empire to serve and inspire others. This woman is going to set your soul on fire, and I cannot wait to get started. So my guest today is unlike anybody else that you will see on social media. She is polished. She's organized. She's published. She's beautiful. She's smart. She has been featured in so many noteworthy places like Forbes, MSNBC, Inc., The Huffington Post, just to name a few. There's actually more. Like that's noteworthy enough, but there's more. She is a wife to her high school sweetheart, JD. She's a mom to a precious little girl, Luna. And she is a truly, truly incredible woman. Jasmine Starr, I am so excited to have you today. Thank you so much for being with me. I am so thankful to be here. You are way too gracious. I feel like the like five minutes in this conversation, people are like, are you sure this is the same girl? <laughs> yes, yes, it will be the same girl. I, I'm just saying that, you know, it's like 50% holy and 50% hood. And if you fall somewhere in the middle of that, I think we're having a great conversation. Oh, I love it. I love it. So, you know, I was just telling Jasmine a few minutes ago that I'm blown away um, by by who she is as a person. And she has clearly mastered her craft but I think that I'm even more blown away by her heart. And that is, that's hard to do in a, in a world that is, that capitalizes on the currency is really, you know, beauty and success and all these things. And that can really change a person, you know, but your heart uh, has remained so down to earth, so humble. And I just absolutely love that about you. So on the outside, people could stumble onto your massive social media platforms and your website, your podcast, and think that you have something completely different than them, that they can never build something that successful and that you have had a special advantage along the way. What do you, what do you say to that? I think that we've all been dealt a hand mm-hmm. and not to play on that traditional adage, but it's not the, it's not the cards you're dealt. It's how you play your hand. And I think that the word that really struck me is when you said um, you're polished and I love that. And I received that as a compliment, but to be very aware of the fact that um, a lot of times what draws people in the most is the lackluster component of who I am. It's if I was just only ever polished, there would be create a distance between myself and a viewer. And I think that the beauty of being able to be 100% myself is, yeah, I could, you know, I could get some fake lashes on and I could tease my hair and I could put out a piece of content. And then at the same time, in equal measure, show up in an oversized sweatshirt, in a messy bun, no makeup, feeding my toddler who refuses to eat and be equal in my parts myself. And so I do appreciate that. But at the same time, oftentimes what I am putting out is a hundred percent me. And if you or anybody else who's listening could have the courage and the audacity and the chutzpah and the grit and the wherewithal and beyond all else, the discipline to consistently put content out, people in equal parts will be able to say, it's not as if she has something different. And it's not as if she has been given anything else. It's simply that she's unafraid to be 100% herself. And as much as it hurts me to say, very few people have given themselves that permission. Mm. 
Man, that is so good. You know, I was listening to a, a podcast uh, just a couple of days ago, and there's a woman named Nona Jones, and her book is next up on the docket for me to read. And she said, so many people are born an original and they die a duplicate because they compare themselves to everybody around them and they try to duplicate everybody else versus being, she said, God didn't make extras. He only made one of you, you know? And so I love that because you're exactly right. You are. And I think that that is the draw. So just to, just to clarify, in case anybody is not following Jasmine on Instagram or TikTok or any of her social platforms, um, she has built an unbelievable Instagram. How would you describe it, Jasmine? You describe what, what it is that you offer people because it's evolved over the years. It has. So a little bit, a, a little bit of the story is I'm a firm believer in creating a niche, a small group of people who you can distinctly solve a particular problem for. Because if you are in a business, your job is to solve a problem. But I don't look at a job as like a singular transaction. You can have the job if you're running for city council. You can have a job if you want to be, you know, volley to get other parents to have you be your son or daughter's soccer coach, right? We all have a singular transaction, regardless if it's monetary or not. So if we want some somebody to do something on our behalf, it's going to be a transaction. So what I started realizing is um, early on, I decided I dropped out of law school. And against all odds, I decided I wanted to become a photographer and I didn't own a camera. And so again, if we go back to where we started, the conversation is that she must be given something that somebody else has not. And I will say that the pattern in my life has only ever been to make a clear, bold and declaration, an irrevocable decision to do something that I'm wildly unqualified, uneducated, unfunded and unconnected. I will say I will do that. And then come hell or high water, I put my mind to doing that very thing. And so I said I wanted to become a photographer and I didn't own a camera. Well, a few months later, my husband went to Best Buy and bought me a camera off the shelf. And within a year. I was already making six figures in that business. And so there I come building out a small niche of unfunded, uneducated, unconnected and underperforming creatives to do something because people will say at the time, I wasn't the best photographer. If I was being honest, I don't even know if I was very good, but I found a way to solve a problem for a customer. I solved a personal connection in making people feel comfortable in an otherwise uncomfortable situation, AKA in front of a camera. I got really good at that. And so then other photographers were saying, well, how did you do that? So then I just started teaching my methodology, sharing everything I knew and I put it out online. For a while, nobody paid attention until they did. If I had stopped putting out content, nobody would have paid attention. But we must become okay in every iteration of our life and career to continue putting things out because people will not pay attention for a very long time until they do. And when they do, not if, because if you don't stop, it will come. Because when it happens, they're not coming across a one-hit wonder with a viral video, an incredible blog post, um, a, a TikTok that went really crazy, they will be able to, that will be the inciting point to be able to go back and look at a full catalog of content that has built your credibility up into that point. And so every time I had pivoted in my career to lead me to where I am now. So I was a photographer who started teaching other photographers how to monetize their creativity. And then I started teaching other 
creative entrepreneurs, videographers, poets, writers, podcasters on how to monetize what they wanted to monetize. And then I started realizing that I wanted to do it at scale. So I started creating online courses, which brought another multi-million dollar revenue into the business. And then I pivoted into creating a membership with resources because it wasn't enough for people to know what to do. They needed the resources. And so I created the resources. And then I realized in this membership that people were getting the marketing resources that I was creating, like, oh, the best tools to show up to market your business, the best way to get new leads, how to create reels, how to write compelling content that gets a follower to become a customer. I was getting all these things out and people were saying, yes, but I don't have the mechanism to take your resource and put it out. And so then, of course, there I go being uneducated, unqualified, unfunded, and underconnected. And I was like, you know what we need? I think we need to build a little bit of tech in our company. So my husband and I, who is my business partner and my high school sweetheart, decide to essentially pour a lot of money into becoming first-time tech founders. And so what we did was we built a mechanism that connects our resources to the largest social platforms to ensure that you're showing up with consistency. Why? Because content becomes your credibility and you will not become a one-hit wonder if you stop somewhere along the lines when you're not getting the very thing you want. Engagement, comments, accolades, the thing that feeds the smaller part of our ego when in all intents and purposes, what do we really want? We want to connect with a small group of people who are willing to pay us for what it is we do. If we have that mindset, then our only objective is to create content, be 100% of ourselves, and we will largely push away 80% of people who were never planning to buy from us to begin with and focus on the 2%. That 2% will grow over time, and I'm a living testament of that very thing. Mm. Wow. Wow. That is so incredible. So how did you figure out? Because you just rattled off a whole bunch of things that you that you do and that you have figured out along the way, starting with photography and earning six figures by the end of your first year of doing that. I mean, you didn't even own a camera. It, it, people are looking at you going, but how? So every step of the way, as you take on these challenges and you're unfunded and unqualified and all of this, how do you, how do you learn how to do them? Okay. So this is a secret that I'm I don't share it too often, but I'm going to do it here. So if you happen to be listening and you are in a safe position, you're not driving, you're not engaged in another meeting, I want you to bring out a pen and a piece of paper and I'm going to write this down. Like, this is the thing. This is the one thing that we all need to walk away from this podcast. I'm going to spell it. G-O-O-G-L-E. <laughs> okay? Because, because we have never before in human history. We are the very first generation to have the world in the palm of our hand. Mm -hmm. Our parents, when they so desperately wanted to do something, when they wanted to become the soccer coach, they wanted to become a member of the PTA, when they wanted to run for city mayor, when they wanted to start their business, they didn't have what we have. Mm -hmm. We have the answer to every question known to human mankind for free within point zero zero three three second mm. so ask any question ever to ever come to your mind and you could type it into google or it's kissing cousin youtube if you are a visual learner and it will be there i learned how to become a photographer by the university of google mm. i learned how to create a lead magnet by google I learned how to add HTML code, HTML code. I had no idea what that, I learned how to do that all by way of Google. Everything is out there. And I have to say, I am not the sharpest tool in the shed. 
I am a traditionally slow learner. I did not learn how to read until I was almost 12 years old. I've been terrible at standardized tests. I am the kind of person that I have to take notes on the pencil and paper. I have to read things a couple times over for it to settle. I have never been the person who's going to teach myself something from a textbook. And yet the internet offers every type of learning. I will listen to podcasts to learn things I don't know. I will watch videos or I will just listen to the audio. I'm an avid consumer of education because I am doing my immigrant grandparents and parents a disservice if I am not maximizing every opportunity in this beautiful country to get self-educated. And this is the thing that I tell people. I am not special. I am patient and I am disciplined and I am consistent. I am not special. Wow. Wow. Everybody has the same level of opportunity. I mean, I was not born. I I was working at a very young age. I don't get the impression that somebody bestowed upon you a multi-million dollar trust fund for you <laughs> to uh, for you to get started in your business. Did they? Uh, no, not at all. So uh -huh. my um, my father is an immigrant from Mexico. My mom's from Puerto Rico. My husband's parents were born um, in Mexico as well. And so we are first generation Latinos. And you know, I I I will say though. Um, a few, a, a few weeks ago, I'd put out a piece of content and I was citing somebody I'm really inspired by. It's a husband and wife duo, Alex and Layla Hormozzi. And Alex had mentioned that it's the person who does the most reps wins the most reps. And I thought that was so fascinating. And in the middle of, um, business coaching. So on the inside of social curator, the, the membership, the subscription that my husband and I have, uh, I do business coaching. I do audits. I do things of this nature. And I. I will say flippantly had quoted Alex as saying the person who does the most reps win. And there was a user who reached out to me kindly, so kind. And she had said, I agree that what your intention was is to say that we must work. And the person who does the most work, the reps wins. And she's like, but Jasmine, you know, as a woman of color and she herself was black had said, oftentimes so we don't start at the same starting point. Mm. So it's important to walk away with the principle of working and doing the reps, but to never forget that we are not all starting at the same place. Mm. And I was like, I loved that insight. And I love that caveat. Mm. I don't think that the person who works the hardest, I simply believe that the person who doesn't give up meets their terms of success on the condition that they have defined their own success. The thing I see of inside and outside of business is that people want things, but they don't know why they want them. So what we see on social media is a glorified version of anybody's life doing these glorified things. And then we say, well, in order to look like that and live like that, well, then I too need to be vacationing in, in, on the Greek Isles in the summer. But is that ever something you really wanted? Like, did you know that about yourself? Like. Is the Bentley the marker of success? Because you made it up seeing something on somebody else? Because every time I work with a business owner, one of the very first questions, it's like, before we ever define what to do, and before we ever define how to get your business right, what we need to know is what is your endpoint? Like, when is, when is the capital E enough? What is it that you want? And oftentimes when we boil it down, and I have to tell you, we have seen more than 35 thousand business owners grow through our program. And oftentimes when you just sit down on your laptop with a sketchbook or a pen and paper, and you write what it is you want, 
what I see distilled down is the beauty and simplicity of human nature. Mm. I want to sit with my family at dinner. Mm. Then I'm a success. When I do that more often than not, when I never have to miss my son's game because I'm no longer being a weekend warrior trying to start this side hustle, then I know I'm a success. People say, if I can take three, not one, but three two-week vacations and spend it with my family and take my parents with me, then I know I'm a success. It's never been about how many commas and zeros in our bank account. Now, let me tell you, we all want that. Yes and amen. That's what I want. Benevolent. I want abundance on everybody. But all those things don't guarantee happiness because in the process of getting the thing that you put in your mind that you want, if it comes at the cost of the people and the things you care about the most, then you're not a success. You're just rich. So we have to first define what is it that we want? And then we work from there, ask ourselves, what can I do to get that? And oftentimes, oftentimes we are deeply, deeply satisfied with something that is within our grasp. We have never taken the time to actually clearly identify what it is to begin with. Oh my gosh. So powerful. So good. Um, I am surrounded by successful, incredible women. And I always ask them, okay, you live in this amazing, beautiful house. And I know you and JD went through a long process during COVID of getting <laughs> your house, like move in ready and all of that. And so, and, and it just stretched out forever because of all the delays. But when you really think about when you and JD were young and just starting out and you decided to drop out of law school and all of that versus now this big house, right? Do you feel happier with the house. Like it's not the house. It's not the house. It's, it's the relationship. Tell me, tell me. Well, I always want to be like, well, I was like, I'm always about setting the record straight. I, did I tell you that I went to law school? I did go to law school. I ended up dropping out. Right. I, I dropped out my, I dropped out my first year. My mom had a relapse of brain cancer. Thank God. Oh. Everything in her life brought us to where she is now. She is still with us. But at the time um, we were planning for her funeral. So mm. it was like this big, massive wake up call. But one of the things that when you go through law school, you really learn the way that the brain works and the way that we define and confined. So whenever I hear something that is true, but like a caveat of, well, might be misleading. I'm always like, oh, skirt, we need to stop right there. So you said this big house. And I'm like, okay, it's not a big house. This house is a labor of love. House. And this house is from our heart. Mm. Oh, through and through it's from our heart. But our house, I don't even think it's a house. I don't, I'm, I'm pretty darn sure our house is around 1700 square feet. Mm. So, you know, but in Southern California, like square footage out here is measured di differently. So Most what I will definitely. say is like, does the house, mm -hmm. 1700 square feet, 17,000 square feet, does it mean what I thought it would mean? Mm -hmm. um, yes and no. Mm -hmm. Yes and no. Because uh, a few weeks ago, my husband and I celebrated our 17th wedding anniversary. Now we've been together since we were in high school. So we've, we've been, we've been together a long time and we were driving to dinner and I, we were just reflecting on, I was like, oh, at this time, you know, 17 years ago, we were in Hawaii and it was just like 22 of us and we we're getting married. And it was so simple. And I said, if I can go back to that girl and, and tell her, tell her that this is our neighborhood and that we were healthy and that our families were healthy and this was the car we drove and this was the daughter we had mm. and this is the team we had built 
And this is the purpose we're serving to empower small business owners to change their life, family, and legacy by way of a strong business. I wouldn't believe it. I wouldn't believe it. And so does the house mean something? In principle, yes, because oftentimes we shelter ourselves from dreaming very big dreams because we look around and say, well, what am I capable of? But oftentimes if you serve somebody and you do something much bigger than what you ever thought you could, the windfall of those results and that success comes by reaching higher goals and doing bigger things outside of what your limited mind can think. So does the house mean something? Yes. And very much no, mm -hmm. very much no. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I think for so long, I thought that there was a pinnacle of achievement and it it was the house and the cars and all of that. And as success came and as I kind of got to all those places, I was shocked to find that the, none of those things were the things that brought me fulfillment, satisfaction, none of it, none of it. It was, it was wrapped up in so many different things. The fulfillment and satisfaction I have truly came from serving other people and continues to be serving other people and not the material things that I thought were, were the pinnacle. I thought those were the things that were going to make me happy. So yeah, I was, I was actually one of the questions that I had written down. Cause I want, I, I took all these notes to ask you was, would you, did you ever imagine being where you are now? You know, I mean, and so no, I love how you share openly about your failures and how it has not been smooth sailing the entire time the fear, the insecurity, the doubt that you've experienced along the way. What were some of the biggest setbacks along the way for you where you thought this is it? Or did you ever, have you always been so resilient that you never, you never had a, a setback big enough or a failure big enough that you thought, I think this might be it. I think I'm throwing in the towel. I really appreciate this question because before I talk about the specific instances, because I do believe that we connect more and we learn more from seeing other um, things that other people have done. But I'm going to start the conversation with something that has been a rather recent revelation for myself and also my husband and business partner is um, a few weeks ago, I have a I have a podcast, The Jasmine Star Show, and every, every, every once in a while, I can convince my husband to join me on the podcast. I mean, it's a trip. It's every blue moon. And so I had said, I really do think that we should have a conversation on the podcast because I believe that the podcast will serve as a time capsule. And oftentimes on social, it's such a microcosm of what's really going on. And the podcast to me, just for me, my experience has been like a safer space. The people who are listening to the podcast, they're just a different breed of people. They're ride or dies. They pay attention in a different way. It's a deeper relationship. So I feel like because they're deeper in the relationship, I can share more in a very candid way. My husband and I were talking about where we were with the business, the difficult decisions we have to make, the very, very, very hard days. And this idea that we have to be okay in uncertainty. And in the process of the conversation, my husband who just, oh my God, this man has a bleeding heart. I mean, he is just all things to all people. Um, he's, he's just like a big spoonful of Nutella. And he had said, if anybody's having a hard time, well, just shoot me an email. I'll send you a, a personal note. And while we recorded his podcast, I was like, do you not know, son, how many letters are you going to be writing? He's like, don't worry about it. Anyway, so uh, people are emailing him. And I thought that this, it was such a cool thing because it was such a personal 
um, insight into a myriad of business owners. And so I asked him, I'm like, can we sit in your inbox and can we just start reading these? And I want to start reading them and I want to start doing like a cluster, like a bubble, a word bubble of things that people are often kind of experiencing. Now, even though everybody's experiences were different, there was this red thread that connected every single email. Now, JD asked specifically, if you're having a hard time, send me an email and then I'll send you a note. So it's not business owners in general. It was business owners who are having a bit of a hard time and then business owners who are willing to like email a virtual stranger and let them know he's having a hard time. So that's the segment. And everything from, I don't know if this is the business relationship I should get with this partner. I don't know if I should take funding. I don't know why this course that I wanted to launch didn't work well. I don't know when I'll be able to leave my nine to five. And the word that kept on coming up subconsciously or like this undercurrent of all of it was uncertainty. Mm. I am uncertain. Mm. And it came as like such like a wave of knowing. And I thought to myself, my goodness, here we all all uncertain of the next best step. And yet so few of us are actually talking about it because what we see on the outside are very certain people who are doing things in a certain way for a certain level of success. And so for us to ever admit that we are uncertain, which is why on a subsequent podcast and in a subsequent newsletter, I was like, let me just make one thing. I am certainly uncertain a hundred percent of the time. I know I could probably come across as a certain way, but make no mistake that in the process of business, if you want to grow, you will always be uncertain. We never know the next best step. Our only objective is to take a step and assess, was this the best step or not? And if it was not, then we take another step another uncertain step, and then we assess. Now, if somebody says, well, this was the best step. This did amazing for me. Great. Well, you could stay there in a place of stasis and not grow. And if you're not growing, you're dying. So you have to take another step. And then what do you do again? You assess, assess if that was the right step or not. We are always certainly uncertain. So the minute that we just embrace, just embrace, we were always going to be uncertain. It is the cost. It is the rent of being able to build a dream and a business to be uncertain. If you do, if you are not okay with uncertainty, you're not willing to pay the rent, then you will never buy the building. Mm. And that's okay. Join a team of a, a leader and a visionary who wants to buy the building, who's the building you want to live in. Go there. Be happy. That is so amazing to work alongside a team and a person like that. But if you are saying, I want to buy my own building, then baby girl, it's time to pay some rent. So having said that, every failure, and there have been so many, like we could be here till next week. I'll give you detailed reports <laughs> on all the massive mistakes I've made. Every single, every single time I thought uh, we overextended. So, um, okay, here's, here's, here's an example. Back in it was around, goodness gracious, uh, around 2015. I think, yes, 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 around 2015. So my husband and I were on our way to, uh, to breakfast and we're LA born. We're, you know, we're Angelinos. Like we bleed Dodger blue. Okay. Well, this is where we were. This is how I went to school at UCLA law school. I did the whole nine there. This is uh, 2015. My husband and I are on our way to breakfast. Now we happened to move to Orange County because he was with the startup at the time and it just kind of facilitated, but we we're just like, no, no, no. 
LA is where we're going to buy. We're going to breakfast. We happened to see an open house sign. We had 20 minutes before our reservation. So we toured this tiny little like original build home. And I was like, oh, this is so cute. It's way over our budget. Well, the house sat in the market for a little bit. And so then I decided to write a letter to the owner. And I said, I know this is absolutely crazy. And I know that you're living in Texas right now because you had a job replacement. The house is sat empty. This is what we've been pre-qualified for. I would love to start a family in this home. So she agrees and she takes the offer. So, I mean, we're talking about hundreds of thousands below asking. And so it was like a big blessing. We're like, oh my gosh. So we have this money to like rebuild a part of the house since it was so old. And so we invested in this. And then it's around that time that I decide that I'm going to formally retire from my photography career, spanning like, I don't know, 12 or 13 years at this time. This is this is multi-seven figure revenue stream that I'm like, I've come. If I don't, there's this like term, like burn the ships. Mm-hmm. If oh, I yeah. don't burn oh. the ship, I will be still tied to this. So we make this big sweeping decision. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I do a live event that is a massive upfront cost. Okay, so this is the tsunami that I truly, truly thought had done us over because I cut off a revenue stream. We got into a build project that it was our first time ever doing this. And what they always say is it will cost double and take twice as long. I had no idea. And guess what? They're right. And so we had a budget and we just kept on seeing this budget over and over extend. So then all of a sudden, it's not you could say, no, no, I don't need flooring or a roof on my house. You have to finish it. And so then we pay all these upfront costs for a live event that I was planning to record. I was so strung out. I could not sleep. I said, I think I, 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 I put us in peril. Mm. I made some big financial decisions and I took this unnecessary weight because my husband is my equal business partner and we had assessed and perhaps we were just a little young and naive about the timing and budgets of everything. I thought I was never going to come back from that. I will never forget sitting in front of a website called cabbage, but K with mm-hmm. Kate. And this is like, I just saw, literally I saw a commercial or I heard a commercial. It's like small business loans. I was like, I'm gonna go to cabbage. Your girl is so thirsty. I might go to cabbage. And my husband's watching me and he's just like, we're just gonna buckle up. That's it. Do you believe in this project? Do you think that this, everything will happen when it's supposed to? And I said, yes. And then we just buckled up. I literally thought that that was the end of our business beyond any shadow of a doubt. And it wasn't. And that is just one of 1,977 massive, epically massive, scary, scary perceived failures that really shaped me into being financially fiscal and a very different person I am now. So it wasn't a failure. It was the best lesson, just like everything else that I thought was a failure in my life. Big, massive, humiliating, embarrassing, let down. I just wanted to like punch myself in the face a few times over. Lessons, lessons, lessons lessons, lessons. Wow. You have the life experience and wisdom of somebody so more advanced in years than you are. I mean, the fact that you have experienced all the things that you have at still such a young age with so much more to go, the the amount of lives that you're going to impact the rest of your life, I just can't even imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, So I want to know... I've, I've got two questions. The, the fear, the uncertainty, the doubt, the insecurity. I listened to your podcast at the episode that you, that you, uh, had yesterday or released yesterday. I don't know when you recorded it. And you were talking about being at the beach and, and the crippling insecurity that, that can take over sometimes. And it's everything you were describing is everything I have felt 
before. And everything that most women I know, if we really got real, that they have also experienced. So what is it? Not just body image, not just all of that, just the absolute paralysis that could take over because of insecurity, fear of failure, all of this. How do you overcome that paralysis and say, I'm not giving in. I'm not stopping. I'm not throwing in the towel. How do you do it? What do you do? What do you feed yourself? What do you do to overcome it? You know, I feel like um, I wish I had a very clean cut answer. Mm -hmm. And I really, really, really wish that I could sell a vitamin because girl, (laughs) I probably may, I may, I'm well, well on my way to billions. Um, I will say, I will say it has come on the back of uh, coming out on the other side mm-hmm. of things that were crippling, like that story I just shared, mm-hmm. like when you could look back and say, if it didn't kill me, it made me stronger. And so now I've become wizened to seeing similar patterns, similar patterns of crippling fear, similar patterns of the stories I tell myself. And one thing that I have learned that is something I do every single day is I must choose to tell myself a story and then I must choose to believe that story mm-hmm. because it takes equal amounts of energy for me to tell myself a story that I am not good enough and it's going to fail. And it takes just as much energy mm-hmm. for me to say, I am trying my best and I will figure it out. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not one of those, like, believe it. Like I'm so amazing. It's always going to work. I don't right. say that I wouldn't believe it. So I tell myself something I can believe mm-hmm. I am trying my best. I am doing the best with what I have and now I'll figure it out. I can believe that. So I could tell myself I'm not good enough. It's going to fail or I'm doing the best I can and I can figure it out. Mm -hmm. Now, when I make the decision of what story I'm going to believe, and if you are ever going to pursue a business or get into deep personal development, you must choose to tell yourself the kinder story. And then you must behave if that, as if that is the case. You must behave as if you were trying your best. And if you're not, then it's a serious reckoning. If you're saying, I'm going to train for the marathon. If you're going to say, I'm going to save money to get to my trip to Europe. If you're going to say, I'm going to build my business. It's going to be like, I am going to do this. I believe I have the capacity to do this. But then your actions must map your aspirations. Because if you want to train for, train for the marathon, but you're only running about 10 minutes a day, and you're snacking late at night, that doesn't put you in a good mood to run the next morning, then you're not living to your utmost potential. If you say you want to save to go to Europe, but what you find yourself doing is like, I can never say no to happy hour. <laughs> it's like, that's keeping you from Europe. So your, your instant desires getting satiated are keeping you from the higher calling. And if you want to start a business, then your actions must map your aspirations. If you say, I really want customers, then you must what go out and find customers. Well, how do you find customers? Well, then you have to create content, which becomes your credibility, and then people find you. You must be willing to do that every single day. You must be willing to train for the marathon, save your money, and put out content in all different scenarios. Your actions must map your aspirations. So you must tell yourself a better story, choose to believe the better story, and then have your actions map your aspirations. All three of those things are the very things that will get somebody from crippling fear to doing something that they themselves and everybody around them thought was seemingly impossible. Wow. So do you read, I know you wake up about 4.30 every morning 
That is no joke, girlfriend. I mean, 4.30, are you kidding me? I'm an early riser, but it's not in the fours. It's in the fives. I am blown away by that. So you get up at 4.30 and you spend some time by yourself alone. I do the exact same thing. It is an absolute essential to my day. And so I love that you do that. What do you consume for your mental, spiritual, personal growth? Is it podcast? Is it books? Is it all of the above? What is your, what is, what is your favorite thing to consume? Um, so the thing that serves as like a grounding now, I, I don't know, like there are going to be people of faith who, who listen to the podcast and then people who don't for me, the thing that gets me grounded is I just spend a little bit of time every day in the word, mm-hmm. like, but that's just like a personal thing. Yep. And so then I write down just like five or 10 minutes, like what I'm thinking and feeling, getting out the the ickiness, like the worries out, just put it on a piece of paper and then I could close it. But then I also say a few things that I'm thankful for, because what happens is that this, I I go through a 365 day devotional and acts almost as like a a time capsule of sorts. So the one that I'm currently in right now has all the way back from 2019. I am currently writing in 2022 and I could see where I was in 2019. And what can I see? I could see providence. I could see benevolence. I could see faith in the time of turmoil. I could see trust. I could see that the worst times that I thought was like, oh, I'm done. I'm broken. This is the worst thing. And I come back and I'm like, still here. So obviously it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. So it kind of just like, it's like a testify. Mm -hmm. And then what I'll do is I will do a meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, for about 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Now this, this stuff is not like, I'm ne- I'm never going to be like my self-care routine every morning is an hour and 30 minutes. Although if you have that time, take the time, God bless you. I'm just not of that ilk. So, you know, my, my alone grounded time is around 25 to 30 minutes every day. And that's super sacred, super sacred for me. And then I get to choose, am I going to start my day with work? Am I going to have to start my day with, uh, am I going to get to day- start my day with a, workout. So I work out six days a week. It is top priority to me because it's like mind body is actually empowering me to do those things that I want to do in the future. So those are the top two things that are prioritized all the time. But the workout, I start the day always like in the word and meditation. And then the workout comes whenever I can squeeze it in. So sometimes it's very early in the morning, sometimes in the afternoon, it just depends on the schedule of the day. Wow. Yeah. You know, if we compared, and I know, I have no doubt you would agree with this. If we went and interviewed a hundred or a thousand successful entrepreneurs who are driven men and women alike. I think those two things are always a top priority. My life Mm. changed when waking up early. It was the 5am club for me. I read Mm. it. Did you, have you read it? Robin Sharma, 5am club. I read it and it's like a light bulb went off in my head. And from that day forward, I started waking up, making that morning routine and same, same exact thing. I spend time in the word. I have like this same exact thing and a devotional and all that. And then working out. And it is like, it just sets you up for the day and it gets your mind right and your heart right and everything else. So now that you're at, at this place, what are you reading right now? What, what, what book? Let me, let me go back. What are, do you read? Do you have a chance to, to read books? Do you listen to books? I, I oh, listen to girl, books these days. I am, I am like an avid, I am a paper. I bought, I buy hardcover books. Like yeah. drives my husband crazy. Like, do you know how much money I'm like, baby, I donate them to the library. It's called giving to others. Um, but, um, I have to be honest right now. I am going through a, a business scaling program through Stanford university and, an organization called the Latino Action, the, the Latino Business Action Network, LBAN for short. And I have to say that it has been this 
incredible experience, but I wildly underestimated how much extra time. So already I go into this program and I feel like I'm spread thinner than like hot butter on some fresh sourdough bread. Mm -hmm. And then we go there and they're like, okay, it's going to be additional 10 to 12 hours of academic readings, studies, classes. And I have read nothing but business books. Well, so yeah. that's where I'm at right now. But come December when I graduate this program, not if, but when oh, yeah. come December, I I already have a stack. I have a cachet. I have a cachet of some good literary fiction. The sadder, the better. Like if I am not crying by the end of the book, it just wasn't good enough. My husband's like, why do you like these books? And I'm like, baby, I get to feel in my soul in a deep way, like the trouble and the trauma. It's like Ernest Hemingway, like give me, give me East of Eden. And I am just like, I just spent 47 hours. And this book was just, it shook me, baby. It just shook me. So literary fiction is where I dwell. I know I should be reading other business books. I usually consume podcasts for business, mm -hmm. but when it comes to reading, it is just like, I am just a voracious reader. I am just a guard garbage pail, pail of good long words that I have to like search for. And the best part is my dad and I love reading. So we'll kind of sw swap books, but I will buy books, give them to my dad because what he does is he underlines words. He's like an immigrant, not, not like an immigrant. My father is an immigrant. And so there's a lot of words that both he and I are unfamiliar. So he'll, he'll underline them. But the thing with the difference between my dad is that he'll look it up on his phone and then he transcribes in the back flap, the definition of that word. So he's done all the heavy lifting. So I go to this book and I'm like, Oh, okay. And so I get to flip to the back. So my dad's created our own little, like uh, <laughs> like daughter of an immigrant glossary in the back of a book. I love it. That is so special. And what a special bond. That's actually how I, I mean, I was an English major. I was like, give me all the reading, all the yes. writing, all of it. And it came from my dad because my dad has always loved to read and I always saw him reading. But here's what I'm going to say about Luna and your morning routine. My, I have two, two boys that are just slightly ahead of her. So five and seven years old, every single morning, they know where to find me. I yeah. am in the same exact spot with the same exact books and the same exact layout. And we've got a routine where they come out every single morning and they, there's a little spot on the sofa that they can still sit, fit, oh. and fit right next to me. And I know one day, Jasmine, they're going to be too big to fit right there. Luna's going to be too big, right? No. And, <laughs> oh, heck no. Heck no. I was like, we go squeeze in here for the rest of our life. We, that's what we're going to do. It's like meet you and your baby, all of us, all the time. That's what we're going to yes. do. Yes. Yes, but I love it. They come and they they get under yeah. the blanket with me on the sofa and it is so special because she's watching you. She's mm. watching everything you're doing. They are watching me. And I love that you that that you start your day that way and that she is seeing it. It is it is creating a life mm. and memories for her that is that's incredible. So what is next for you? What is next? I heard a rumor that there you might be working on a book. Well, that was that was definitely a rumor. Yes, <laughs> you're not. It's definitely a rumor, but uh, you know, I, I I know beyond a shadow of a doubt there is a book in me. Mm -hmm. Oh, beyond a shadow of a doubt, mm -hmm. it's not it's not excavated yet. Yeah, you know, Br Brene Brown says that we should often talk about life and experiences from the place of a scar and not a wound. Oh because a wound can still be open and the scar is like a, a place that you look back and say, this is the thing that it left on me. And I think in my business journey, I, it's still, when I say a wound, of course we associate that with harm or pain, mm -hmm. but sometimes pain is a good thing and, and pain shapes us. Mm -hmm. And 
I think the art of building a business requires a lot of cutaway, mm-hmm. a cutaway of ego, a cutaway of assumptions, a cutaway of things that you just didn't know before. I'm definitely in the place of cutting. I think that the year 2022 has just been a massive year of pruning. Mm-hmm. And I have to believe with all of my heart that the pruning is for a greater harvest. If I don't believe that it's easy to feel overwhelmed and overcome that things like, wait, 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 I, I had a plan. I had a plan and it's not working as I had planned. And I think that talking about writing a book now would be a wild disservice to the reader mm. because it's still a place of openness. I want to be able to write a book as a testament mm-hmm. of being able to get up even when the odds were stacked against you and to get up after a series of perceived failures and to get up and, and prove that as long as you don't quit, you could win. And and I'm I'm in the process of proving that. So yeah. the book will come. Yes. The book isn't being written. So so what's next for you? You're finishing up this amazing and you can do this. You've got eight weeks until December. You can do this. <laughs> I believe in you. And then and then so what's but what's next in the Jasmine Star journey? What is next for you? You know, um, I think it's been a really great opportunity. My husband and I, um, he just talked to me. There was like, goodness, uh, five years ago. Five, five and a half years ago, we're driving up the coast from San Diego, California, back to Orange County. Newport Beach is where we reside. And we had this conversation and he said, you know, what is it that you want to do? And I thought, well, you know, it just sounds really stupid. You know, it just sounds really dumb. And he's like, well, just say what it is you want to do. And I'm like, well, I really want to connect with people's stories. And I want to tell how their histories can actually prepare them to change their lives. I've always believed that money is a mechanism. Money isn't a solution. Money is a mechanism. But if we could actually teach people how to get money in their business, the way that it has changed, money has changed our lives, our legacy. The fact that we come from parents who are immigrants with nothing and then we're able to do something like we're living proof of what is possible. I want to teach other people those things and I want to make videos and I want to write and I just want to create and I want to show. And he's just like, okay, how are we going to do this? And my honest answer with the sun falling along the Pacific coast was I have no idea. And now when I, years later, we flash forward almost five years later to what we're doing is the very thing I didn't really have words around. And I thought it was like the craziest thing. Mm. One thing I have noticed in my life is that I have like a, about a five-year cycle. Mm. Now, what I know is that social curator will always be my thing. It will always be where I dwell. But will make me, but would what make me a stronger business owner and a stronger leader is to also challenge myself to do new and different things. And my husband and I were in the process of defining what can we add that brings challenges, that keeps us on our toes, that keeps us innovating. And I don't know the answer. And I hate admitting that because I just love talking about, so this is my three-step plan to figuring out. Like right now, girl, it's just a place of of open-handedness and a lot of hope. And then figuring out, well, this sounds really crazy. But every time I've always looked back, I'm like, this sounds really crazy. Then you go to Google mm-hmm. and then you figure it out. <laughs> oh. I cannot wait to watch it unfold because what you have just over the years watching you evolve. And I think I probably found you probably about six years ago and watching the evolution of Jasmine Star from way back then to where you are now is astronomical. I mean, it is <laughs> unbelievable. And you're, you're, 
you're never starting over. You're starting from experience. So whatever it is that you, not mm-hmm. that you're leaving what you're doing now, but what, what you decide to add on next, you're adding with such incredible experience. And so you're just going to be able to knock it out even faster and impact more lives. And oh my gosh, I, I am blown away and absolutely humbled by who you are, what you have achieved and who you have remained in the process. Mm, So many people lose it in the middle. You know, they lose it. They lose who they are. They lose why they started. They lose why they're doing it. And they get caught up in the stuff that doesn't matter. And so, man, I don't know if it's you and your twin sister. I don't know who it is, if it's JD, if it's the Lord, I don't know, but something is keeping you in a place of humility and service of others. And it radiates off of you and is absolutely evident to every single person watching you from Mm -hmm. the outside looking in. And, um, it is, it has just truly been amazing to get to talk to you today. Truly. Well, thank you. Thank you for giving me this space. Thank you for allowing me to synthesize, you know, over a decade's work of figuring it out and then kind of serves as a reminder. It this kind of served like therapy for me. I was like saying it out loud is being like, you don't know what's next quite yet, but everything that has been put in front of you have found a way. So thank you for giving me this space. I'm going to send you the therapy bill. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you know, one thing I will leave you with, somebody gave me this advice one time and they said, God's going to raise the curtain one inch at a time. If he raised the curtain the whole way all at once, you would do one of two things. You'd say, um, I've got this, God, I don't need you. I'm going to go do my thing. Or you would say, nope. And you'd run for the hills and you would be like, can't do it. Nope. I'm out of here. Right. So instead what he does is raises it one inch at a time so that you are forced to rely on him, trust him in the process and kind of stay in a place of humility, you know? And mm. so I just, I love it. And it has been a blast getting to know you better. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, thank we'll you. talk again soon when you write that book, we're going to, I, right. I can't wait to have you back on. So, I love it. I love yes. it. I love it. Thank you so much. All right, thank, thank you. you. Thank we'll you. talk soon. Have a great day. Bye. If this episode resonated with you today, please share it with at least two people you think would love it too. Keep up with the show at The Rachel Roth Show on Instagram and TikTok and keep up with me at Rachel underscore R underscore Roth on Instagram and TikTok. Don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I know it sounds silly, but it really does make a huge difference and it allows this content to get in front of more people. I can't wait to see you again.